morning. Um, if you will, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 21. It's page 18 in the ESV Pew Bible in front of you. Genesis chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And she went away and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept, and God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation." And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. 
At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear. Then Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs... You will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba And called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, there's much taking place in these accounts. And yet, Father, through it all we see your hand guiding and moving and directing. Father, there can be much in our life that can feel like a, a lot of different separate events taking place, and yet through it all, your hand is guiding and leading and directing. So, Father, help us to see, help us to trace out the line that you have led Abraham through and his family. Help us to see the same for ourselves. As you, the everlasting God, have called us to yourself. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you've ever seen the movie The Truman Show, uh, you know that it's a story about a TV company that buys a bunch of land and makes an effort to build an entire world around one individual. This is probably not an illustration you would have assumed in, after what we've just read. But you see, everyone in this, uh, in this uh, set, studio set, they're, they're all there for a reason. They're all playing a part. They're all playing a role. They're actors. And the only one who, who isn't aware of what's taking place is the main character, Truman. And the movie centers on his efforts to free himself from this fake world, to escape it, to move uh, away from its creator, Ed Harris, who promises he will take care of Truman, that he will give him the world that he has always wanted. And at the end, one of the last scenes, Truman politely declines this invitation 
And he leaves the perfect world that has been created just for him. Well, of course, that is not our situation here with Abraham. In fact, I use this illustration to show that it is actually quite the opposite. Where in the Truman Show, man makes his best efforts to create the perfect life for another human. Uh, uh, But even in the removal of pain and the removal of obstacles, the individual still feels like a prisoner and not a free person. The individual, once they are awakened to reality, desires more so to cast off the bondage and pursue freedom. Well, Abraham, in our case, understands that the only right and true life is the life under God's authority. To live under his promises that, unlike Ed Harris, he truly knows what is best for the person, for the individual, for the people. And so it is now, after 25 years of waiting on the promise of the seed a seed that is not come from the slave woman Hagar, but is come from the free woman Abraham's wife Sarah, Isaac is born. And it does feel like it has been several months that we have been waiting for this. I feel like we should have birthday cake out uh, with our coffee afterwards. We finally made it. The promise has come. But do you understand, and even in, in our longevity of going through this, we, we feel that that pain of Abraham, of, of waiting, of longing. When is he going to get to that sermon? Uh, at actually, uh, we're actually going to start Mark's series back up. No, I'm kidding. No, no, that'll be next, uh, next term, possibly. But you see, we made it. The seed is here. Could this be the seed that God had promised To Adam and Eve in the garden, you have to wonder if this is the question that is rolling around in their minds. Could this be the one who will destroy the serpent? There's no birth that's been more looked forward to with such anticipation since Cain, which remember means he is here because Adam and Eve would have had this possible assumption that he was the seed that would destroy the serpent. And we all know how that one turned out. But you see, these first few chapters, uh, first few verses of chapter 1, they, they center really on this theme of laughter, of laughter. Why laughter? Well, from the text, obviously, it's a, it's a laughter of joy. It's joy at the fulfilled promise of God. Imagine that joy that this family must have felt. The the patient waiting on God. The pain of being impatient with God. The wondering and the questioning. uh, The anticipation. The fear and the anger that they must have felt. It must have felt overwhelming at times. And now it all comes to this moment of relief. Release. A moment of joy, the, the, the laughter of joy in the moment, the, the laughter that mocked the idea that this would happen for Abraham and Sarah has now been replaced with the laughter of joy. And so they name the child 
Isaac laughter as God has told them, as a reminder. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. God did not point his finger and say, I told you so. Now name your child, I told you so, so you'll remember how ridiculous you were. No, no, he has made laughter for both Sarah and Abraham and for all of the generations that would come, that would hear this story, that would know these truths. Even in their failing to believe, even in their failing to obey at times. And so God will always do the same when they think of Sarah at 90 years old, giving birth to the child of the covenant, and and Abraham at 100 years old. Uh, Lindsay and I, as a side note, we have we named our son Isaac because that idea that that God is always faithful despite our failings, despite our doubts. We loved that reminder always being before us, and so we used that name. It doesn't hurt that our son actually does laugh a lot as well. So we're all caught up in this feeling of joy and, and excitement and laughter and, and celebration. But as is the case in life, it cannot last forever. For we are introduced to another laughter under this same theme. This is a darker and more sinister laughter. And we read in verse 8, And the child grew and was weaned. And just as side note, children were weaned in this period uh, much later, usually around between three and five years old. And, uh, you know, there was no baby formula. There was no Gerber's baby food around. And so babies would, would nurse much longer. And Abraham makes this great feast. He made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, and he was laughing. Why was he laughing? That word can mean mocking, mockery, laughing as a, as a form of mockery. And that really seems to fit the situation. Now, Ishmael, if you remember, was 14 years old when, uh, when uh, Isaac was born. And so now if there's about you know, three to five years in here, he's about 17 years old. And he's mocking this little three-year-old toddler. Why? Perhaps because he has been supplanted by Isaac. He, he was the heir to Abraham. He, he was the son Now Isaac will be the heir. And what happens to Ishmael? So Sarah says, Cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Why can he not be heir? Because God says so. Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the chosen one. Isaac is the seed that was promised, that was anticipated. Ishmael is not. Ishmael is the son of distrust. Ishmael is the son of human planning and scheming. Ishmael will not be the heir of what God has promised. Does that sound harsh? 
He has not done anything to make his situation the way it is. He did not choose to be born in the way that he was born. So is this cruelty on the part of Sarah? Well, God tells Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of the slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So while perhaps Sarah's motivations are selfish, God intends the same result as Sarah. Sarah wants to protect protect her seed. She wants to protect her child, the heir of promise. God, too, is protecting the heir of the promise. But God will also protect the cast out one. And it is here that we need to talk about circumcision. Because Abraham circumcises Isaac on the eighth day as he is commanded to do. Right? And what does circumcision represent? It's a a cutting off of the flesh. It symbolizes to Israel the setting apart of the people. The people of God who are, who are called out, who are set apart, who, 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 are, who are to follow and worship Him and, and not go the way of all the other uh, surrounding nations. And God speaks of the circumcision in the heart later on in, in history where it is not just a, a, a physical symbol or sign of being set apart, but it, there's a spiritual setting apart in the giving over of the heart to God. A, a separation of one's love and commitment away from the things of the world, away from the surrounding nations and the, the surrounding gods and the surrounding uh, things that are taking place and and to the things of God and to the things of Yahweh and the things that he has called them to. And that's a little picture of what's happening here. There is a cutting off of the flesh, the removal of the obstacles in some sense, the, the, the removal of Ishmael. And that is painful for Abram because Ishmael is still his son. It's still his seed. But he trusts the Lord, and he sends them out. And that is where we see the care for the lost and the outcast by the gracious hand of God. We remember that Ishmael remains, uh, means that God hears. God hears. You remember he, God had promised Hagar back in Genesis 16 that Ishmael would be a great Nation, But once again, things do not look like that will come to fulfillment. We've seen this over and over, these themes. And she puts her son under a bush in the shade for protection from the, the heat of the sun because the water has run out and she doesn't want to watch him die. And God hears Hagar and he hears the cries of the boy and supernaturally provides a well for them to be replenished, and he confirms his promise to her that he will be a great nation. So God cares for the one cut off, but he's also protected the promised seed. Imagine the Israelites 
the original audience of these passages. And they're sitting in the wilderness with Moses, wishing that they were back in Egypt. And they're feeling cursed by God. They're feeling forgotten by God. And they're reading about how God protected the seed, the the supernatural birth of Isaac. How how God protected the line through which they would come. uh, Special provision for them. Now fast forward a, a, a few thousand years. And Paul picks all of this up in Galatians chapter 4, where he makes the point that the believers are like Isaac. You are like Isaac, children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. This is Ishmael and Isaac. So also it is now. For what does Scripture say? And notice he says Scripture, not Sarah. What does Scripture say? Showing us that there's a a connection between what Sarah intended and what God desired. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman." Uh, Paul is using this event in, a, in a, almost an allegorical sense, in a spiritual sense, to tell the believers in Galatia to not be tied to the flesh nature. It's not that you were saved and now you are sanctified by your efforts, by your good works, by your flesh nature. He says, be tied to the Spirit. Don't go back to the slavery under the law. And live trying to find your justification under that law. But live freely in the Spirit. Picture the overflowing love of God the Father springing out, overflowing from the Father to the Son. And we are invited into this relationship. And how you yourselves are to be a a, a fountain, a, a springhead of that love that has been poured into your life, into overflowing quantities. And as a recipient of the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God and the indwelling of His Spirit, and then you carry that out in your daily life, in all the interactions that you have as a conduit of that, putting on Christ every single day and cutting off the things of the flesh, the things that bind you, the things that bind you in sin, the things that hold you hostage. Our small group was looking at the book in uh, Acts chapter 2 last Sunday, and we were looking at Pentecost, and, and we were discussing the difference between the Old Testament Pentecost and the New Testament Pentecost. And the Old Testament Pentecost is, so Pentecost means 50th, In the Old Testament, it was the the 50th day after the Passover when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law. And what did he witness when he came down the mountain with the law? He witnessed the Israelites building a golden calf, going to uh, idolatry. In the New Testament, the Pentecost is the 50th day after the resurrection when the Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire on the on the disciples, and and then what did they witness? They witnessed the conversion of 3,000 people from different tribes and nations and tongues. 
the fulfillment of what was promised to Abraham. And we discussed how people can live as people under the law versus we can live as people in the Spirit. Do we desire to go back to the law represented here as Ishmael and live condemning others and making efforts to live uh, an external righteous life? We're just whitewashed tombs while inside we are not being transformed by the gospel, while inside we are not letting our hearts truly be circumcised. If we were writing these out in points, we will have seen God who brings laughter, God the one who protects His chosen ones, God the one who calls us to be transformed. And finally, we have this story with Abimelech. Abimelech, whom Abraham has already lied to once. And he now sees that, obviously, the hand of God is upon him, and, and, and he's growing, and, and he's got a larger number of uh, servants and animals, and he now has a, a young male heir. In some ways, he's very much a threat to Abimelech. And so Abimelech makes a treaty with Abraham. God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. What are we to make of all of this? Is this... Does this story tie in at all? Abraham has already presented him falsely. So this is the bookends. There's two, these two Abimelech stories as bookends, and the birth of Isaac is what takes place in the middle. But, but Abraham has already presented himself falsely to Abimelech, right? He, he, he's lost some currency with Abimelech. He, he's proven himself uh, untrustworthy. And there is this issue with a, a well that Abraham has dug. And so Abimelech's men have taken this well from Abraham, and, and Abraham comes and he complains to the king. And, and there they make a covenant that this well belongs to Abraham. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree there as well, and he calls the area Beersheba. Isaac, too, would build a wall, sorry, a well, and he would also make a covenant with Abimelech in Beersheba. Beersheba marks out the southernmost part of ancient Israel. Both Isaac and his son Jacob would hear from the Lord in dreams in this place. Both Hagar and Elijah the prophet would be in the wilderness of Beersheba when God would speak to them. This is a highly significant place. It's a place of remembrance, a place that causes the people of God to remember what God has done, to remember what God has provided. And it is in this place that Abraham uses a new name for God, El Olam, El Olam, the eternal God, the everlasting God. The God who created the earth. The God who 
cursed the earth because of the sin of mankind, the God who provided a covering for his people, the God who destroyed the earth because of the wickedness of mankind, the God who protected his people in the ark, the God who called Abraham, the God who promised Abraham, the God who was patient and gracious with Abraham, the God who was Abraham's shield even when Abraham didn't believe it, the God who was faithful to his promises, who provided the son of promise, Isaac, and provided the true son of of promise, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the God who would continue to provide and protect and be patient with his people. And he continues to do the same for us today. The eternal God, El Olam. This is a real picture of an Abraham who is, who is growing in maturity. He trusts God with the life of Ishmael, who he loves. It's not that he wants Ishmael to go away. But God has to tell him, do not be worried about him. I will provide for him. I will take care of him because of you. He trusts God for the future of his own life and the life of his family, as we'll see in the next chapter. He trusts God in the promises and the covenants that he's made. He's not afraid of Abimelech like he once was a chapter ago. He has remembered who his shield is. Now, is Abraham perfect? By no means. Has he grown in grace? It appears so. It would appear so. I wonder how the Israelites felt as they read this account. Walking in the wilderness for 40 years. Are we getting out of here? Are we ever going to get out of here? Shouldn't we have stayed in Egypt? Where is Moses going? Does he even know where he's going? Is God trying to kill us out here? And from beyond the grave, what does Abraham say to them? El Olam, the eternal God, has you. We are but sojourners in this life. But God is an everlasting and eternal God. I wonder what stretches or seasons that you may be going through in your life. Is it a a season of staleness? Is it a a season of of tragedy, of of struggle? Is it a season of triumph, a season of uh, of blessing, of, of rejoicing? Whatever it may be, remember the eternal God, the everlasting God of the covenant Remember the places where he has guided you. Remember your Beersheba. Remember the places where he has been patient with you as you grow in grace. Remember his goodness. Remember his grace to you. The one who brings laughter. The one who protects his chosen ones. The the one who calls us to be transformed the one who is eternal. Let us pray.
Father. Sometimes this can sound redundant. And we can say in our hearts, yes, I know. I know that. I know God is eternal. I know these things. And yet, oftentimes, we don't live our lives that way. We live our lives as if there's some matter that you're not in control of. When often the reality is that you always understand and we often don't. So let us look at this life of Abraham and see a man who, when times of doubt and fear crept in, poor decisions were made. And it took a certain amount of those poor decisions before the truth set in, that trust could be there, that doubt and worry only create more problems. And so we don't want to be people who are constantly going back, making the same mistakes over and over again, though we might very well do that. But we come asking you that you would remind us of these truths. For we know that these things were written for our benefit, that we may learn from them. That you have proved yourself through the time, through eternity, from thousands of years ago in your, in your holding through Abraham, being patient with him, just as you are with us today. And you brought that fulfillment of that seed through Isaac, and you brought it in totality in the sending of your own Son, Jesus Christ. That when we do have those moments of doubt and fear, we can look to Him and remember what you have called us to. And remember that you are an eternal God who has good purposes for us. So Father, help us to remember these things. Help us to be people of laughter. Help us to be people who are looking for the transformation that you're bringing in our lives. Help us to remember who you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.